Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Conte is out for revenge against his former club after the League Cup loss. It's do or die time at AFCON. Two giants collide at the San Siro, and those are just the appetizers. I'm joined by Jimmy Conrad, Heath Beers, Jonathan Johnson to chat key storylines and best betting tips from another weekend of great action. The Kigo Lasso weekend preview begins right now. Everybody, welcome to Kego Lasso. Thank you so much for being part of the family. Kego Lasso pod on Twitter, youtube.com forward slash Kego Lasso. We're nearly there, 8,000 subscribers. Keep on subscribing and share the word Spotify, Apple Podcast, CBS Sports, and your CBS Sports app. Right then, your weekend preview. So exciting. Heath Pierce. Heath Pierce on his little head. Can you do that trick for us if you're watching on YouTube? Look at woo. <laughs> <laughs> it looks so weird. Heath Beers, yeah. how are you, buddy? I'm good. I mean, I just feel like this that was a little bit mean to the people who are listening to this, but uh go watch it uh because it's it's funny. At least we think it's funny. Exactly. We force you to watch <laughs> it so then we grow our subscribers. So listen to it, watch it, share it. Come on now. It's free. Jimmy Conrad, how are you, bud? I am doing better than Ushman Dembele, who has been told he needs to leave Barcelona. And uh that doesn't seem like a pleasant relationship, or is that gonna end well? So I'm curious to see how that goes. Plus a ton of games to get into, so I'm excited. 100%. Yeah, I feel like, JJ, uh, Shimona Dembele's situation is like uh, the soccer version of Rounders, where Dembele is uh, Matt Damon's mic, just going 30K all in, and then Worm is his agent, and Barcelona is John Malkovich. What do you think? Uh, I agree. L- love, the, uh, love, love the analogy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously uh, Dembele... Big topic over here in France. I'm sure we'll get into it in more detail in uh, in a couple of minutes. So looking forward to chewing the fat with you guys as always. As always, welcome everybody to Weekend Preview. Heath Pierce, Jonathan Johnson, Jimmy Conrad, and we begin, of course, in the Premier League. And once again, bringing out that uh, salt shaker and spreading the pinch of salt here because there are currently 20 fixtures awaiting new dates due to the COVID-related postponements. So be braced, everybody, especially as Jimmy gives you some betting tips and you get some analysis from the guys be braced for further fixture disruption this week how, how many of those rearranged games involve burnley <laughs> like eight <laughs> i don't know they're gonna have to play like 20 games in april and it's gonna be ridiculous i mean gonna i feel what there's gonna be one week where they're playing every day <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be the burnley week i can't i can't wait i, I can't wait for sean dyke to lose his mind at the end of that week but as we mentioned as we tape the games are happening and let's begin As I mentioned, Antonio Conte's Tottenham losing in the League Cup to Chelsea. But my God, what a game midweek as they beat Leicester City. But uh, that's Tottenham. Chelsea hosts Tottenham Sunday, 11.30 Eastern. Jimmy Conrad, let's begin with you. Conte, I'm beaten in nine league games in charge. Hasn't lost in the Premier League. He hasn't, which I think actually gives him a little bit of a chance in this one at Stamford Bridge because... They lost twice to Chelsea, what, in last week? It feels like they've played each other, I don't know how many times, since the beginning of the year. So this is going to be interesting. Though, in their 1-1 draw, Thomas Tuchel, this was against Brighton, Chelsea Brighton 1-1, Tuchel said after the game that my guys are just tired. And other teams have had the luxury of having some time off, and then we get to play them. He's referencing Manchester City, and we just don't look that sharp. And, and, And Brighton had some time, and we just have to play all these games, and we're on the team bus. And we don't even know. We wake up from our little naps on the bus is what he said. We don't even know who we're playing. We don't even know what competition we're in. I'm like, this guy is losing his goddamn mind. And I'm here for it. I think that's hilarious. I think they're going to have some work to do against this Tottenham team that, as you mentioned, came from nowhere with Steve Bergwijn uh, driving it to score two goals late to beat Leicester. And, And I think that could be one of those games that continues to give them that momentum, especially in the league. They're out of the League Cup now. They don't have to worry about it anymore. And they're out of the conference league. It's really just this competition to focus on. And I think they're going to get some points here. I don't know if they're going to go out and win. Chelsea still find a way to scrape out results. 
But I like Spurs and Antonio Conte to mastermind something to get to some type of result, especially with Harry Kane feeling pretty good about himself as well. Yeah, not to be a Jimmy Conrad right off the top, but I'm sitting on the fence in terms of result here <laughs> on this know. one. I, I think I think there's an opportunity for a draw. I don't know if Spurs can win this one. The, the, my focus of the conversation is, is where Chelsea are at. Jimmy just mentioned it with Thomas Tuchel. The excuses are coming in. That seeps into the locker room. The players start to have a woe is me type of mentality or attitude. Obviously, the Lukaku situation seems like even though it's been settled in terms of man-to-man, it feels like there's a little bit of a lingering uh, effect there in terms of what we saw with Harry Kane earlier in the year and him wanting to leave, sort of that dry up of form, sort of everything coming uh, to a head at, at, at the exact same time. I think the issue for me with Chelsea isn't even about whether their title race is over or not. I think we all uh, believe that Manchester City are going to run away with this title. It's more of the fact that, that Chelsea have given up points in eight of their last 14 games. And if that continues, one, that's not Premier League champion type of form, and as Jimmy mentioned, they know how to stay in games, they know how to grind out results. But giving up points in that many games, and most of those are draw, I believe it's only one loss in, in that time frame or of those eight games, one, only one of those is a loss. But giving up that many points over and over again, if West Ham were to hit a run of form, if, if Spurs win this and hit a run of form, or Arsenal hit a run of form, none of which I truly believe at the moment are capable of it, but very well could. And, 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 but hey, I, I will say that uh, Spurs don't look bad. They do not look bad. Under Conte, they look decent. Their defense obviously needs to change. I don't know if they'll get the reinforcements that they want here in January, but it seems like things are coming together, at least from a belief system, and they could string together a run of results. You could be talking about a top four race for Chelsea. Now, I think that's still pretty clear, but my focus is more on that than whether or not Chelsea can keep the pace with Manchester City or Liverpool at the top of the table. Yeah, I agree. It's it's interesting, really, how the situation is changing right now with Thomas Tuchel. Uh, you know, it, it amuses me to hear him talking like this, saying like, oh, we're tired and we've got too many games, uh, you know, all these injuries and, uh, and issues to deal with when, uh, you know, Tuchel was quite happy uh, to take the situation PSG found themselves in when they got to the Champions League final a couple of years ago where the season had ended early. They had a couple of uh, competitive games with the cup finals to play before the end of that truncated uh, season's Champions League. So, you know, what goes around comes around. I don't really think he should be, you know, complaining too much about it. Uh, you know, I also find it fascinating how everything I kind of thought might happen or suspected might happen is kind of happening with Tuchel at Chelsea. And I know this is Chelsea heavy for the moment, and you know, I'll get around to talking about Spurs in a minute. But he always has this ability to implode, to fall out with people. And it seems like it's almost been accelerated at Chelsea because of the success that he had in such a short space of time last mm. season. Uh, I'm not going to go as far as saying, I don't know if he'll see out the end of this campaign just yet, but you know, the signs are already there. You know, there's you're a kind bit of, of, you're kind a of bit saying of it, JJ. You're, you're kind of saying it, saying I'm done. I'm dancing around it. I'm tempted to say it. Give give it a couple more weeks. But no, I mean, honestly, it does what I'm trying to say is it doesn't surprise me to see what's going on with Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea right now. Uh, and this kind of game against Spurs, where they're finally starting to find their feet under Antonio Conte, uh, you know, I think it comes at a really good time for Spurs and really at the wrong time for, for Chelsea as well. I'm just going to jump in with uh, some, some betting tips, things to consider. But I do want to say one thing of note. When we looked at the table, Tottenham only played 19 games. And they're eight points behind Chelsea. Chelsea have played 23. They have four games in hand. And I thought what was interesting was that Steve Bergwijn, one of the, his immediate quotes after scoring and being the hero uh, yesterday in the game against Leicester, he said, we have to make the most of these games in hand. They're already talking about it. It's a super big narrative. When you, when, you know when the coach is saying something, it's immediately what comes out, out of the players. They're, they're, they're just you know reinforcing or echoing his sentiments. So that's clearly a big theme for them. Can they make up these points? And obviously getting a big one against Leicester is going to jumpstart that, that vibe. Also, when you look at the calendar, this is their last game before they get some time off. And I know that all these coaches, especially the ones that have had a crowded schedule, are looking at this and saying, give me everything you have in this particular game, and then I'm going to give you a few days off, and we're going to get after it. You guys can relax and go do whatever. And there's no better manager to do that than Conte. I agree. I agree 100%. But I think Tuchel will be, he'll be pushing the same type of button. So I'm curious yep. about this one. I, of course, I'm straddling the fence along with Heath. What I find interesting is that uh, Chelsea are the heavy favorites here, minus 150. You can get Tottenham to win straight up at plus 430. That's really that's, good. That's crazy. But the draw is plus 280. I like the draw. Chelsea have five wins, five draws, and one loss at Stamford Bridge this particular season. I think Spurs are going to have enough. They obviously have more than enough sample size of seeing what Chelsea are about over those last two League Cup games. And I think Conte is going to mastermind a little something here 
to make something happen. Plus 170 for Harry Kane to score anytime. I like that one as well. Yeah, I like Harry Kane to score. Uh, again, I, I'm going with the draw. I do love the value, as Jimmy just mentioned, for, Crazy for value. the Spurs win. If you're Why not? Go Why not just throw 10 bucks on it and, and yeah, see what happens, and, dude? And I, I do like the idea of that because they do have the ability to disrupt some things right now and seem like they have that form in their favor or starting to believe in their own hype, which I think is is, is a positive, at least to an extent. And so I'm going to go with the draw personally. But if, you, if you're looking for a flyer, go, go for that uh, Spurs win at 430. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to push the boat out. I think I'm going to go for 2-1 Spurs. I'm feeding it. I think Conte is definitely going to mastermind something here. And, uh, you know, the pressure is going to be turned up even more on Tuchel. One yeah, second. I, Wait, hold on. LME, yeah. dude. If it's 2-1, if you want both teams to score and yeah. Spurs to win, yeah. plus 900. That is, that is Honestly, we don't see that value a lot for a team that... Like, that's crazy value. We know that Spurs are going to give up a goal because Spurs are going to Spurs, but but it's just a matter of whether they can pull out that that uh, yeah. rabbit out of their hat. This again. is tough. This crazy, is tough, dude. Yeah, I know. I, know. Right, dude. Gonna... I might I might put ten bucks on that plus nine hundred. That's crazy. I like that bet. I think my head, my head stays with a draw though. I think it's going to be a high scoring draw though. I think it's going to be two all. I think uh, I don't think Conte is going to want to lose once again. To Chelsea, well, that's, uh, both teams to score and the draws plus four hundred. Well, there so, you go, there you have it. By the way, let me ask you something very quickly before we move on. I, I, I know, I know, this uh, this wasn't included, but I want to quickly just get a, a thought from everybody. Very quick, not not. Well, I it's tough because it's really a long conversation. But Lukaku, uh, that waste. What, what was this? Was there any point in bringing him in? I don't know. What What do you think, Heath? In terms of this coming to Chelsea? Just, just literally right now. You're looking at Lukaku. You're looking at what's going on at Chelsea. Could that money be spent in a better way? Yeah. Uh, but when I go back to when he first came in and the energy that they had, I go, okay, this was the answer to the thing that they were missing. It just doesn't seem like that's worked out uh, in, in the way that the games have played. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, JJ. Sorry. Oh, either one. No, go go for it, Jimmy. You go first. No. Well, yeah. it's it's We're on the hot seat with this question. I, I, I like the Lukaku move. I, I think that it will benefit the team. I do think that he does create space for other players around him. Just his mere presence alone occupies defenders. I still think it's a plus. Obviously, you want everybody on the same page feeling good about it, but I think they'll get there. I also like the Lukaku move, but I like it for the coach that comes after Thomas Tuchel because I think they'll be, they'll be, extreme, they'll be extremely grateful for having him in the squad. <laughs> That's such a backhanded compliment. Oh, a it's like, I love your haircut. Uh, yeah. In the front, but not in the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's uh, let's move on, everybody. Manchester United uh, host West Ham. They got a win midweek against Brentford. For some reason, Fred turned into Riquelme, and uh, <laughs> we got some wins there for United as well against Brentford. So you know the the, the search, the hunt for the Red Rebels, Red Devils, and Ravranjic is on. But they face West Ham, who, by the way, are still around. They still are occupying that fourth spot, and that's massive. Uh, for the hammers. Uh, so, JJ, I want to begin with you here. There are question marks whether uh, Sancho and Maguire will play. So, obviously, we have to think about that. United, as we tape, just played last night. What are your thoughts over this game as West Ham continue to stick around? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest question coming into this one is exactly what Ralph Ranić was saying to Ronaldo when we saw him on the, on the, on the side of the pitch. I mean, I, I just continue to be really underwhelmed uh, by United under Ranić. Uh, I don't really see there being sort of any true, uh, not same kind of identity that I expected him to try and implement. Uh, I mean, I know that coming in as an interim for like six months tops is always a very difficult task, you know, to really stamp your mark on a squad, especially a squad with, with as many varied uh, personalities, characters and players uh, with different skill sets as United have. But I still feel that it's been somewhat uh, underwhelming, and I, you know, I think that this is a good uh, a, a good opportunity for West Ham to at least get a a draw. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if they if they sneak to win. I mean, I saw a lot of things in that Villa United game where, in fact, both the the two Villa United games back to back, I was really disappointed that we went out of the cup to them. Uh, I'm really disappointed we didn't pull off the comeback in the in the league. You know, to go from two 0 down to two two and then not get the third was yeah, JJ, uh, a little bit frustrating. And, and even and even that Brentford game and even Brentford winning. I'll let you carry on. Sorry, but that Brentford game uh, losing to Manchester United. In the, Thomas Frank is correct. In the first half, they should have put it away a few times. They were in control in that. Sorry, go ahead, bud. No, but it seems to be, you know, something that, that keeps recurring. Every team that comes up against United feels like they should have gotten more than the result. I mean, it's basically a continuation of everything we saw under Solskjaer that is happening with Ranić now. And that suggests to me, 
you know, that the problem was was more the players than the coach, but we knew that already. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I agree with you, Luis, in terms of uh, De Gea having to stand on his head in that first half. Obviously, I think Manchester United were better in the second. The only the only hope that I have for this United side is the fact that they're working Ilanga in, which is like, if you're one of the, you know, if you go back a month again, we were talking about who's going to be that 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 winger or that uh, up top player. We were talking about Sancho. We were talking about Rashford. We were talking about every one of the seven guys, Martial, who are the seven guys that are going to take that spot? None of them have seemed to step up. And it seems like Ranyak is now looking to the future and saying, hey, we can go with Greenwood. We can go with we can go with Ilanga. By the way, I played with against Ilanga's dad. That's how long ago. That's dating me. But, <laughs> oh, you know, man. when I was in Denmark, oh, playing against his dad in, 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 oh. in Denmark, he was actually a really good player. Ilanga uh, looked good. Yeah, and, and he's a young player. So if you're Ranyak, it seems like he's starting to say, okay, fine. If I don't have the answers here, I'll at least look to the future. And, again, that's not to the standard that you want for Manchester United where you're almost accepting defeat or almost accepting that you're not going to always get the results. Obviously, Longa scored, Greenwood scored, and I'd love to see these young players get more time. But you're Manchester United. You're not part of a development system. It's not your job or responsibility to bring young players through. They need to earn their right into it. But it seems like nobody else is willing to step up, including a player like Sancho, who I thought was going to be a huge hit who I'm not even sure fits into this squad, fits into this team, under this manager. And in terms of a, even if he is fit and available, what type of level are we going to get from him in the Premier League? That's the thing that I'm, I'm looking to. Even Rashford coming off the bench scoring, he's still now potentially sitting behind two young players. And I think Ranić being able to control that narrative from, from a young player standpoint and focusing on that, I think, is one little positive. But the rest still seems chaos. And I don't know how they're going to win any games um, or, or consistently win games with the squad. I, I will say with regard to Ralph Rangnick, it's been somewhat surprising that he maybe has lessened his stubbornness in terms of how he likes to play. And he got away from the 4 2 2 2 2 2 2 2 like 2 until infinity. And he actually went with a 4 2 3 1 in this particular game against Brentford. And, and we saw signs of it prior to that as well. And I just think it's, he's starting to build the system around his players instead of trying to force them uh, to play the system that he wants to play. And I think that's going to be part of the evolution over the next four or five months. Now that Paul Pogba's back at training as well, Martial was on the bench for this game. So yeah, what about this moment though, Jimmy? Huh? Well, now Ronaldo was really angry. I love, I love when pictures are taken or frozen like this because you can really it. make it be anything. Yeah, yeah of course. Saying, I think he's like, hey, buddy, you're as old as I am. We got a manager. <laughs> minute. You know, I know you might look 20 years younger than me, but well, let's be honest, you're the same age. And uh and and, and Ragnick, after the game said, listen, I told him what was the truth. We had a lead against Aston Villa 2-0. We gave it away. And so I took you off to bring on Maguire to put five in the back to lock down the result. We still gave up one, but we got that third. What are you, what are you going to do? You know, and at some point we have to manage his minutes because he isn't a younger guy anymore. So I understand where Ragnick's coming from. And at some point, somebody had, the, had to have the balls to, to sit Ronaldo down in these situations and, and look out for the best interest of him despite the fact that he wants to score all the time, which is why I have him to score any time in this particular game. <laughs> now, I do want to say that West Ham went to Old Trafford and beat them earlier this season there in the League Cup 1-0, but they actually haven't beaten United at Old Trafford in the Premier League since 2007. They just lost 3-2 to Leeds. Not a great performance from West Ham, especially at home. They needed those points against an opponent that hadn't been very good this particular season. Shout out to Jack Harrison, though, getting the hat trick. Uh, very, very good performance. Rafinha, for me, is ridiculous. Such a good player. Maybe one of the best signings in, in recent years in the Premier League. I'm curious to see if he stays with Leeds, where he goes. Different conversation for another time, maybe with Fabrizio Romano. But Thomas Tuchek's come back into the team, and I think that's going to help st stabilize that midfield a little bit more. than It got a little leaky there, I thought. Uh, against Leeds, and I don't know with Suchek in there is gonna gonna make a bit bit of a big of a difference. So I might be straddling the fence again. I don't know what you guys think the results are. I kind of like the draw. Man United's heavy favorites minus 108. Draws plus 270. West Ham's plus 280. I could see the draw here, but I really like Ronaldo to score the first or last goal, and I'm gonna go look for that that value right now. Um, well, as you plus look, 163, plus 163 for Ronaldo to score the first or last goal. I like it. As you mentioned, by the way, and you talked about that good record from Manchester United uh, against West Ham. They've won 20 of their 25 Premier League home matches against West Ham. Uh, are beaten in their last 13 against them at Old Trafford. I know. Since that, since that one, nothing lost in 2007. JJ, what do you make of this game? Who's winning? Draw, loss. What do you have? Uh, I'm going to stick with what I was saying earlier. I think it's a good opportunity for West Ham to take at least a point. So I'm going to say a 1-1 draw. Love it. Heath? I'm going to go Man United to win. I'm going to go with, uh, I don't know if I want to go Ronaldo to score. I'm, uh, I'm trying to find something in there, Jimmy, where, you know, well, actually, I, Ronaldo, I was, I'm looking United at that gave too. up more shots. The, the, the United's opponents have more shots than United do in almost all of their 
their game since, uh, especially since Ryan has come in. So I'm trying to find some sort of value uh, in there to, to United I, to give up a goal, but to still win. I got you. I got some for you. Christian Ronaldo to score. So I think he's going to be pretty motivated to do so. A Man United to win either 1 0, 2 0, or 2 1 is plus 500. Ooh. Okay. I like it. Or, or you can go, or you can do the same thing, but with the score being 2 0, 2 1, or 3 1, if you think they're going to give up a goal. And, and that's also plus 500. I like that one a lot. That's, that's interesting. I like it, but West Ham is winning this. I'm, 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 <laughs> plus stamping right. I'm telling you right now. Like, David Moyes, look at that Brexit. and blue fever. Yeah, absolutely. Go. I just, I, I, I would love West Ham in the Champions League. That would be so good. They need to just keep going. And by the way, to uh, Jimmy's point, this is uh, the, the final games before a little bit of a break. So West Ham, mm-hmm. other teams mm-hmm. need to be like, let's go all out here. All right, let's keep going here. Oh, baby. <laughs> Everton with caretaker manager Duncan Ferguson. They're an absolute mess right now. We had Adrian Heath, uh, an Everton hero, uh, Minnesota United manager on Kegolas. So he had some he said some good things um about Minnesota, of course, but also some thoughts about Everton, of course. But it's big dunk against Steven Jarrett. I can't wait till he enters Goodison Park like that. But it's Lucas Dean returning as well to Goodison Park. So, you know, there's a lot of conversation here. Villa fan, Jonathan Johnson, talk to me. We're winning this. What, 4 nothing, 5 nothing. What do you have? You know what? As <laughs> soon as you said, you know, Everton are an absolute mess, there's no better team to be generous to a struggling team, especially one that needs the new manager bounce than Villa. Yeah. So, I, d- I don't know. I'm coming into this one with a bit of trepidation. I mean, I, I'm, I'm buoyed by the way that we performed uh, in the, the fight back against United. You know, to see Coutinho hit the ground running like that is really, really encouraging. I thought Dean as well had, uh, you know, quite a constructive debut. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of running out of superlatives for for the way that Ramsey's performing for us this season. So there's so much to feel positive about at the moment. Good to get the backup goalkeeper position sorted with Olsen coming in as well. But I don't know, it, it just feels like it's now time for Villa to stop uh, dropping the points in the in the games where we're saying like, oh, you know, it was a good performance. It just, you know, didn't get the breaks. Uh, you know, I'm, I've kind of not lost a bit of patience, but I've, I've become irritated in the last couple of games especially Brentford and United in the FA Cup. Uh, You know, before that, I I felt that everything was very, very positive. That's been a bit of a blip. You know, there's a little comeback now uh, against United. And I think this is a game that Villa really, really need to be looking at, taking the points in uh, and moving back towards the the top half of the table because things started so well under Gerard. The momentum was really there. You know, the defeats against the, the the more logical defeats against the, the teams higher up in the, in the league, you know, they were quite narrow, uh, you know, losing to City, losing to Liverpool. Uh, you know, Chelsea only pulled away at the very end in that game. So I think the, the Villa really now need to, you know, to to make a statement with this one, put in a really strong performance because we've seen what Everton are like under Ferguson when he's filled in as caretaker manager before. And yes, he may well have had a decent record and gotten the results, but tactically, you know, it's not really that impressive. So, you know, I think this is a real opportunity for, for Villa to make the most of Everton's misery uh, and hopefully pick up three points on the road. Yeah, the only counter that I would have to that is that Everton are finally getting back to what feels like almost a full-strength squad. Obviously, it made me, even when I looked at it, I started to think, man, I feel like maybe we were being a little harsh on on Benitez, which I don't think we were. Uh, but, he, he, you know, dealing with a depleted squad for as long as he had, obviously had a falling out with a number of players as well and, and wasn't uh, well-loved uh, in terms of, of what he was bringing to the table. But that's the only thing when I think about Duncan Ferguson, I think about the new manager bounce, I think about the fact that you've got a team that's coming back to full health just before a break. There could be some sort of special sauce in there. That makes me wonder on the flip side for Coutinho, is it time that you bring him in for more minutes when you're trying to balance Ollie Watkins, when you're talking about Buendia, when you're talking about uh, you know, that, that front three that's currently playing? Where, do you, where does he fit in? And how do you, one, rotate him into the squad, build his minutes, but in a way knowing that this could be a time to, to really make a statement. Do you start him now or do you continue to increase his minutes gradually knowing when I mean, you saw him, the whole team changed when he was on the field. The, the spark and the impact that he had, there was just a lift in confidence of knowing we've got a potential world-class player on the field with us and it seemed like the response, the energy, just the reaction time of the players around him just changed. The dynamic changed. And so it's one of those things of how do you balance that the right way of work him, working him in, but also knowing that you don't want, to, don't want to take too long to get him that first start. I'm going to say from a Liverpool super spy angle and a fair play to Rafa Benitez to really doing his work as a super spy <laughs> once again for, for Liverpool. <laughs> You've got Coutinho coming back. you got Steven Gerrard coming back. 
these are other Liverpool guys. I mean, they're they're just bound to win. I mean, that's the kind of misery Everton is currently in. However, Duncan Ferguson has shown as a caretaker manager that he knows how to get results. He had a run back in 2019. I think it was Chelsea, Man City, and Arsenal. Those are the three games he was caretaker manager, and Everton didn't lose any of those three, which is pretty impressive. And I think that they're going to didn't have, they take like seven points from nine or something? Something crazy. Yeah, I, yeah. That's it's. I should go back and look at that. But I know they didn't lose any of those, and that really speaks to what he brings to the table and that energy that I think he's going to get out of his team. And they are rounding back into form, as he said. It looks like Dominic Calvert Lewin will start this one. So if you have him and Richarlson up top. All of a sudden, Everton look a lot more formidable, and that can give a little bit more space when you have those two guys up top in the midfield. Now, no Alan, which is I think hurts them a little bit because he's a little bit more of that that stable holding midfielder. You have Andre Gomez in there who doesn't play this position in the same way, so it's going to be him and Ducore, and I think they can get overrun, especially with John McGinn coming back into the lineup for Aston Villa, who I think low-key is one of the most underrated midfielders in all the Premier League. And, and, and if he finds some space to do his thing, that's just going to open up space for the other players. So this is going to be a good game. I am going to stay away from it from a betting perspective because that new manager bounce under Duncan Ferguson really scares me. And then this Aston Villa, who who seemed to struggle, maybe struggle to get results against the big teams, but have shown they can play against all of them, seem to do okay at getting results against the teams they should beat. So, or at least under Steven Gerrard. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to stay away from this one. I, I mean, I'm, the betting expert we had on what a couple months ago, LME, he said if both values are the kind of the same, and it looks like Stick with a draw, yeah, go always go with the draw plus one seventy five for Everton to win, plus one sixty five for Aston Villa to win. And he says if they're that close, you should always go with the draw. That's where the money is. So yeah, David, I, I'm just saying that from a betting perspective. I'm staying away from it though because it's just I don't know because I think emotion is going to be a heavy part to this game for a lot of different players and a lot of different reasons. So I'm going to stay away from it. Yeah, stay away. That's reasonable. I'm going to tell you to go with Villa because we're going to win like three one to one. I think. But uh, you're, you're, I, you're thinking with your heart, not your head. Head. That's the I don't thing. Care. Yeah, I don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, listen, here's not, but J, uh, JJ's point is true, though. It's time now for Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa to, regardless of the manager bounds, whatever, Everton, Leeds, Newcastle, Watford. Like, those are four games where points need to be taken now. And whether, listen, the Coutinho thing, it, it could happen. He could start because actually, the answer lies within the question about Jared finally saying, look, enough with Ings and Watkins starting at the same time, because that's just not going to happen. Watkins, you start alone. And then on the trio, you could have Coutinho on the left. And then Emiliano Wendia, who, by the way, has been ridiculous. And if he's on, just like he was on against Manchester United, we'll see. The the Duncan Ferguson thing does worry me with that manager bounce. But no, nah, man, I'm not going to go against Miller. Come on now. You're with me, all of, all, of, all of this for an Everton win and a Gazi penalty. I know. I know. <laughs> and it's the early kickoff as well, so it's going to be really... It's going to just ruin my weekend, but... Uh, no, 2-0 yes, no, two no, two no Villa, let's be bold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's let's go with that. All right. Uh, well, Heath, did you give me a prediction? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I, I like Jimmy's uh, betting on the draw. I just wanted to have Jimmy and I sort of play the other side of the uh, the, the pitch on this one to make you guys a little nervous and uh, just stir, <laughs> stir the pot a little bit. And I feel like we are somewhat successful at making you guys double, you know, kind of second guess uh, yourselves, which is Heath, we're doing. Villa fans. We second guess ourselves when we're born. Like, don't worry about it. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's elsewhere in England, by the way, fixtures on the screen here. Watford against Norwich, which. You may think it's not a sexy fixture, but it really is, actually, because uh, Watford, of course, uh, couldn't play their game against Burnley, so they'll be up for it as well. Then we got Leeds United against Newcastle, Jimmy Conrad. That looks an interesting one as well. Southampton hosting Manchester City. Uh, So, you know, some good games there. Anything, Anything in particular, Jimmy, that you like? Well, we should talk about Arsenal and them being looked at from an FA investigation about uh, sketchy yellow card. Well, well, no, the sketchy yellow card that got thrown out there. And and I do bet on the uh, players getting yellow cards. I'm going to tell you right now, this this all or nothing with Arsenal is going to be better than the Godfather. It's going to be be amazing. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) I, I, I... I, I don't think it's Greta Jaka. They haven't named the player that's being investigated with regard to It's Greta Jaka. It's not. You always think he's going to get a card. So there's nothing there. I think it's a player that maybe only has one card. I'm looking at Ben White, potentially. Yeah. I don't oh know. This is one of those. This is like the old Scooby-Doo I mean, I mean, thing, it, Jimmy, where it's like, oh, it was the it was the innocent is, little center half. If it is if it is Jaka, it's like launching an investigation into Verratti for why he's got a career's worth of yellow cards. 
That's true. I mean, there's so many players you can look at. What I'll say very quickly is I don't think they should allow you to bet on yellow cards because it's so subjective to the referee. It's very similar to calling fouls in the NBA when they were shaving points way back yeah, when. Good point. The referees just can call these little ticky-tack fouls. They get them to the free throw line and they can shave those points. The team that was going to win still wins, but the referees also make a little coin on the side for yeah, getting yeah. it inside the, the, the betting lines. I just think they should – if they want to get this out, don't allow – betters to bet on yellow cards uh, or and or red cards moving forward because that that really leaves and gives too much power to the refs yeah Heath yeah I mean yeah I, I, this is uh, uh in terms of I don't want to talk about Arsenal uh, no no any, <laughs> any, anything yeah. from the weekend oh, that you thank you thank you uh, I appreciate that no I mean um I, what was the the Liverpool Palace game? I think is, mm-hmm. is is an exciting just in terms of entertainment factor. I, I I've thoroughly enjoyed watching Crystal Palace play the season, even though they haven't gotten a ton of great results. I think they match up well with Liverpool in terms of the style of play. Uh, Palace try to try to play uh, quite a bit, especially at home. They try to play through things. They try to play out. They're they're and they're a fun team to watch. So in terms of the implications, I'm not sure they can get a result against this Liverpool side. However, uh, in terms of uh, uh, viewing pleasure, that's one that I've got my eye on. JJ. Yeah, I think uh, Leicester Brighton is a is another one of them. I'm I'm looking at that, you know, thinking that could potentially be, uh, you know, quite entertaining. Brighton are one of those teams. I mean, I know they're in the top half of the league, but whenever I see them against, uh, you know, one of the one of the top sides in the league, they, they they're a bit like Villa, where they can go toe to toe to a certain extent and then you know sort of drop off and you know lose valiantly, but then they don't tend to get the points against the teams that you'd expect them to get, which is why they're dropping down towards mid-table now after a very strong start to the season. So I'm looking at that fixture thinking, you know, that could be quite interesting given that they're sort of right next to each other in the table. But Leicester are in that similar situation to Spurs uh, with regards to Chelsea, where they've got a couple of games in hand, which could boost them up uh, and put them back sort of on the way towards uh, European contention, despite what's been generally a disappointing season for Leicester so far, I'd consider. Absolutely. Well, that was a Premier League. There's going to be a lot of action. We're going to take a quick break when we come get when we get when we come back, everybody. Afcon, the rest of Europe, and much, much more. Kego Lasso weekend preview. Heath Pierce, Jonathan Johnson, Jimmy Conrad will be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Kego Lasso weekend preview. That was uh, a big first half. So we're going to try and uh, move things along in the second uh, Africa Cup of Nations now entering. Uh, well, as we tape, we got the final games of the group stage. By the way, we'll, uh, if you're watching this, whatever point, there's also a great uh, special where we are going to talk about the knockout stages, etc. So tune into that. So we're just going to go pretty quick here on AFCON because we got a special QG episode lined up for you but uh here's a an incomplete bracket on screen because as we record of course four group stage games still to be played but anything to discuss anything that you want to bring up from from this tournament jonathan johnson yeah i mean i'm really enjoying seeing the way that gabon's tournament is unfolding so far especially given the controversy at the beginning of the campaign obama yang uh lamina being naughty boys uh you know then they've <laughs> they've got the issue with the you know the, the the medical problems which have seen them sent back to their clubs yet despite all of this you know gabon showing that they're you know sort of more than just two of their star men uh, you know, and pulling together very well, putting in a, a good team effort. And I'm happy as well that some of the key performers in that squad are, are guys that I've seen develop uh, in France over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, Bupenza, I know that he's uh, playing uh, his football now in Turkey, but, you know, he was sort of scrapping away for a living for a while in, in the lower reaches of French football. And now to to see him sort of doing it at an international level, uh, you know, is uh, is pretty cool. So I'm I'm quite happy to see the way that their stories developed so far yeah i'm gonna jump in and talk about senegal they were for me even though they've never won the africa cup of nations littered with so much talent so balanced as a team i'm talking mendy in goal you got koulibaly in front of them sadio mani up top they've only scored one goal so far throughout this tournament and it was a penalty they haven't even scored in the run of play now they haven't given up any goals so i guess fair play to that but i want to see how they do against uh Pretty dangerous, in my opinion, uh, Cape Verde team who, Cape Verde, excuse me, who very similar to Sierra Leone and some other teams that we've seen just are going to fight and scratch for everything. There's no, there's no time. They don't have, they don't have time for luxury players. They're going to just kick you right in the ass the whole time. And, and Senegal haven't really responded well to that. Now, again, they're good defensively, but them not scoring the run of play has been quite surprising. 
And I kind of have him as a dark horse to win this tournament before it started. And I want to see how they do once his knockout rounds start against a very good Cape Bird team. Yeah, thematically for me, it's just looking at this table being built right now. What you see is an increase from 16 teams to 24 teams and what that means to the size of the tournament and the opportunity for other nations. You're talking about Gabon, you're talking about Guinea, you're talking about Malawi, Cape Verde, as Jimmy mentioned, all having an opportunity to go into the knockout rounds and, and to change the narrative a little bit of, of the traditional powerhouses that we've seen. I mean, when you put that many teams in it, you start to have a little bit more of a match, March Madness type of feel like you have in college basketball, that there's going to be upsets in there. And it would be unrealistic to think that the bigger teams are going to win out and go through to the final, that we might see somebody that we didn't expect from a non-powerhouse, from a developing football nation, make a deep run in this tournament. And that's what's exciting me about the way this table starting to break out. Yeah, by the way, shout out to Kumaras, uh, the prehistoric fish, man. I love them. And a, a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of changes need to happen in Ghana as well. I mean, they have too much talent for them to really bow out like this. Pretty not impressive. Let's move on. Heath, I'm going to come right back to you as we move to Serie Ah, AC Milan against Juventus. Milan looking for a reaction after losing to Spezia, of course. There's also Lazio, Atalanta. But talk to me about Milan-Juventus here, Heath Pierce. Big game. Yeah, it's a huge game for Milan. I mean, they had some uncharacteristic uh, errors. I guess not uncharacteristic errors in the way that they're playing. I think Milan, for me, my biggest worries when I was going back, kind of looking at them, the longest run of form they've had at any point of the season has been five games unbeaten. And most of those, uh, a lot of those were, were draws in that period. And so I worry about, the again, the longevity of their ability to really kick it into gear without there being that third game loss or third game draw that really slows things down. Um, and again, their next two matches are against Juve and Lazio, so it's not exactly an, an easy run for them. Um, and they're struggling to beat the teams that they should beat, and they're okay against the teams that are the bigger teams. And so I'm just wondering where they're going to fall into this in terms of form. Uh, I, again, I keep going back to 12 months ago where this is where they hit their dip and they they didn't bounce back. They looked much stronger. You would think that they would they would have a different level of maturity at this point of the season. But to give up the goals that they get, did against Spezia, where it's in into the game, there's a player matched up, goal side, you're not able to make the challenge, and then one spin of a player makes a ball behind the back line and they're able to finish it off. It just seems odd. Theo Hernandez obviously missing a penalty in that one as well. It just seems like there is this a little bit of bad luck as well as shutting off for moments where they're being punished, similar to you would see from some of the smaller teams. And so when I look at this Juventus side who's had one loss in their last 11 and in great form right now, I just see Juventus being able to almost find or, or put their flag in the ground and say, hey, we're back. We're on this run of form right now. We are somebody to be reckoned with. Yes, we're further down in the table. We're not in the title race, so to speak, but we think that we can get three points against AC Milan. So in terms of my prediction, I think Juventus beat AC Milan in this one. Yeah, I've been uh, really amused by what's been going on in Serie A the last week or so, because if there's a team that's going to get a really unexpected result against one of the big teams, it's Spezia. We saw them beat Napoli as well uh, before Christmas. Um, happy to see Thiago Motta still hanging in there with his job. Uh, but also... With regards to sort of the the way that the title race is shaping up, you know, we had that funny episode where Napoli came out and uh, basically accused Inter and Atalanta of not really going at it and playing for the draw because it wasn't, you know, to their interest in the title race. And then suddenly they're back in it now because of this uh, the, this bad result for Milan. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm finding it really intriguing, really, to see the way that that title race is uh, is shaping up at this moment. And I, to be honest, I feared for Milan from the moment that they lost Simon Kier uh, mm. through injury. Uh, that plus the fact that, you know, we saw something similar happen to them last season where they were going so strong and then just fell away. It kind of felt like history was repeating itself, uh, you know, and it doesn't seem like there's going to be too many opportunities where Inter drop points and, you know, for Milan to have not even added a point to that to stay neck and neck uh, in terms of results. It's, uh, yeah, it's hugely disappointing for Milan and they need to get themselves back on track immediately. Otherwise, you know, I think that any ex any lingering title hopes, uh, you know, will be pretty quickly ex extinguished. Yeah, I agree with what you guys are saying. I think there's a vulnerability that exists in Milan that Juve had at the beginning of the season, but I feel like they've eradicated as the season's gone along. They actually haven't lost 
since November in all competitions. And yes, I'm including the Supercoppa Italiana because after 90 minutes, that was 1-1 and they scored first. That doesn't and, count, Jimmy. They lost. Okay, whatever. No, they, they <laughs> lost, but it was extra You're making time. your own I'm, rules now. I am definitely making my own rules because I'm trying to build a narrative here, Heath. Okay, so stick with me here. <laughs> I'm bored. I, I, I was pro Juve in this one, so go ahead. I, yeah, no, I think there's, a, there's a, a different vibe around them right now. Maxi Allegri obviously managed Milan to some great success back in the day, so he's got a little history there at San Siro. But I think there's a vulnerability that exists with Milan that that was not seen as much of with Juve and and I think that they're going to go in there and grind out a result these two teams played in September in Turin it was a 1-1 draw there Marata scored very early Ante Rebic came in and made it 1-1 with 15 minutes left to go I think they're pretty even all things considered the odds makers are feeling the same thing so you know as we mentioned uh, David Sumter was the the betting genius for us to say to go with the draw here I'm not necessarily suggesting that I actually think Juve could scrape this one out I think Teo Hernandez, not very good defensively. I think they can expose that in some ways. Now, this is assuming good. Look at the starting lineups, I think, before you want to lean in one way or the other on this. But uh, I, I like Juve. I, I think that they have a little something that they were lacking before. And Maxi Legri kind of, I think at this point, he knows who his best team is. And it just took him about three or four months to figure that out. And I think Pioli, the manager for Milan, is still... But Jimmy, no. can I can, can ahead, I jump ahead, on jump that in. point real quick on on Juventus? Uh, the thing that I like about that uh, for for Allegri and his and his best team is that it's about thirteen players or fourteen mm-hmm, players, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. no longer a much larger rotation of players that he's he's going Good in. We, we see Weston McKinney's in top form. They've rotated him out in their last match, you know, and that's an example. Of course, I'm biased to to what Weston McKinney's doing right now, but. But they, they, he's got a pool of players that he seems to trust, that one comes in, one comes out. And that's where I think you find the balance in the squad in the busy part of the season. And it's not just about saying, I have my 11. If I don't have my 11, I've got my excuse that I don't have my 11, which I, I wanted to just point out with that. No, well, plus when Paulo Dybala is feeling it, and he's feeling it right now, they are a different team. They are 100% a different team. And now I'm, we haven't even mentioned Federico Chiesa, him being out has hurt them, but I think it's also allowed other players to step up and fill that void, Weston McKinney included. Yeah, by the way, uh, about that David Sumter draw, whatever, this fixture has not been a draw in the last nine meetings. So, you know, I mean, something's got to give, I I guess. But this, if AC Milan lose this game, it would be two consecutive losses in Serie A for the first time since September 2019, by the way. It's not like they do it that often, especially as of late. I'm sticking... With a drawer. <laughs> <laughs> it's so tasty. The draw is always so tasty. I, it's because you have room in that saddle, man. I want to jump on <laughs> All right. Listen, Lazio Atalanta as well Ooh, is a good one as well. And some other uh, fixtures as well coming up. But Lazio Atalanta is a good one, Jimmy Conrad. Very quick here. What do you think? Well, in their last six games... This is how the results been. 2-2, 3-1, 3-2, 4-1, 3-2, How many goals all the time? Now, I said last week that the easy bet was Atalanta and, and Inter to, to have both teams are going to score, and it didn't hit. And I was like, how is that even remotely possible, even though they should have been some goals in that? Minus 190 for both teams to score. I feel like that's printing easy money. Chiro the hero. Immobile loves to score goals. JJ's favorite player in Serie A. I know he is. Chiro the hero. And... <sighs> And then, and then Atalanta, obviously. I mean, they're one of the highest scoring teams in all of Europe. So I like that one. I'm not necessarily like wading into the waters of negativity, but I think both teams will score, especially coming off a 0-0 draw. Atalanta, by the way, because this is in Rome, it, they're the best away record in all of Serie A. They're undefeated. 11 away games, nine wins, two draws, zero losses. Yeah, it doesn't Lazio, surprise me. Yeah. No, a lot, but their home record sucks, but their, yeah. their away record, amazing. And, yeah. and, and Lazio... Okay at home. So I think they're going to be goals in this one. I'm actually going to go and, and probably bet that minus 190 for both teams to score and just kind of – that's essentially, if you don't know what that means, you bet $190 or $19 to win 10 or win 100 or whatever it is. Um, I like that one. Yeah, I'm looking at this, uh, and I think it's a really, really big match for Atalanta because you look at that race for the Champions League – if they drop points and Juve get a win, suddenly Juve are ahead of them in the race for the Champions League. And I think if they can get the win against Lazio and Juve get the win against Milan, uh, you know, which I, I think is definitely possible in both of those games, then suddenly that changes the way that that Champions League race is looking. Because I'm wondering now if, you know, if Milan start to doubt themselves, if they drop out uh, and potentially become, you know, maybe the weak link in that Champions League qualification race, because Juve coming on strong, I suspected for a while that they might not uh, make it uh, for the Champions League. But given the way that they've recovered the situation, uh, you know, I'm now looking at which member of that top four, uh, you know, is potentially going to give way. And I think this is a big, big opportunity for Atalanta to say that it's not going to be them. 
All righty. Well, let's look at the rest of the fixtures for the weekend. We have Verona Bologna to start things off. Inter against Venezia as well. Cagliari Fiorentina and Dusan Blavich, of course, and much, much more. All right. Let's uh, move on here and let's talk about Liga. Liga, Jonathan Johnson. League 1, Lyon against Saint Etienne. JJ, what's going on at Saint Etienne? What's what, what's wrong? Oh man, you know, I think we're we're overrunning a lot already. You know, for me to get into all of Saint Etienne's problems, <laughs> that's going to take a long time. What's what's going right for them at the moment? Nothing. Uh, you know, they're a poorly run club. Uh, you know, it would be a huge, huge shame for Ligue 1 to see such a, a historic name drop into Ligue 2. But that's the reality at the moment. You know, season upon season now uh, of, of mediocrity, of uh, underperformance, uh, you know, is coming home to roost. Uh, they've made what I feel to be quite a short-sighted appointment in Pascal Dupraz as coach because I think, you know, he might just about keep them up by the skin of their teeth. But the the, the issue is that, you know, it's just a very young inexperienced squad some talented players there but it'll get picked apart if they do drop down into league Deux. the financial situation is bad uh you know they've been on sale now for going on a year uh haven't been able to thrash out a, a deal uh and you know they're sort of left in this like state of flux where the fans are just furious against the owners satisfied that claude puel is gone but you know well, going was never going to solve all of their issues. I need Miguel Trauco out of there, Jonathan Johnson. Somebody, did you see, did you see his banger a couple of? Uh, yes, what, couple he's of amazing. I need him out of there right now. <laughs> yeah, but it, uh, honestly, I think the only way out for him will be get to the end of the season. Either they stay up and they completely rebuild, or they go down, they completely rebuild. Either way, it's not a particularly positive situation, unfortunately, for Saint Etienne. But good for them that Lyon's situation is not that much brighter at the moment. So who knows, maybe it could be a morale-boosting win in the derby, but that something really, really needs to change for the better and fast for Saint-Etienne if they're to avoid going down. I mean, yeah, you, look at the bottom, you look at the bottom two at the moment, Bordeaux and Saint-Etienne, to lose both of them from Ligue 1 in one season would be really, really, you know, it would be quite drastic for the league's image. Yeah, Miguel Trauco, 29 years old, went to the World Cup. Somebody buy him. I'm playing his agent. Are you, right? his, are you his agent? You're going to yeah. get some commission on this. I'm Peruvian. I'm, I'm doing anything <laughs> I can. Jimmy, jump in, bud. Yeah, I'm just going to talk about Marseille. They're on the precipice of getting a two-window transfer ban because of their signing from from Watford. After It's a long story. I won't get into it. But, but somehow, despite this, I think they're going to appeal it, and they should appeal it. But they went out and got their third, by the way, in the table. And they went and got Sead. Kolosinac, I think I said that right, from Arsenal. Like, that guy's going to be our savior? Like, listen, I'm a Marseille supporter in Liga. You think that Kolos- like, a, like a reject from Arsenal is going to help save? Are you serious? We'll see Are the we one serious? in the bettings. Or he's going to got Guendouzi. We don't need any more he's, Arsenal He's going to protect his teammates against the irate fans when they drop out <laughs> of Champions League co- okay, that's contention. Fair, that's fair. Easy, <laughs> easy, easy, easy. So look, I mean, you can see the table. They're only two points away from an automatic Champions League spot against Nice. They got, they're on the road. Uh, or away from home this weekend against Lanz. And uh, it should be a tough affair. I don't know if that's going to be an easy result. And I, I hope they get it, but we'll see. But uh, yeah, there's a lot going around Marseille, like usual. And we'll see if they can dig their way out of it and at least qualify for Europe next season. Yeah, the only thing I follow up with that, uh, by the way, is that uh, Marseille are actually in a decent run of form right now. You know, a lot of their controversy seems to be off off the field. They've, they've kind of gotten themselves back up into a decent spot. One loss in their last, I think, 10 or 11 games mm-hmm. uh, so far. Yes, some of those are draws. But for the most part, it seems like they've rounded the corner in terms of that inconsistent form. Now it's just Marseille being Marseille and the rest of the place in terms of transfer bans, <laughs> in terms of fan issues, in terms of all these other things. It seems like the one thing that they can control, they are controlling right now. And that's the way that they're playing on the field right now and the performances that they're putting out so uh, all in all it's just good to see them you know if you go back again just even two months ago a lot of the controversy was one they couldn't get results uh two then then all of the other issues that it seems like at least the, the, this focus is at least either sweeping some of those other issues under the rug or putting the focus back on the field and and you know when marseille are are playing well in that stadium and obviously we know that there's there's COVID issues and things like that it's just a fun team to watch and it's just good to see them see them kind of come around the corner on that one Yep, let's move over to Spain now. La Liga fixtures on screen here. There's Norris, but obviously the major talking point here is as Barcelona visits Alaves. Uh, Matteo Alemani talking about Dembele, which already Xavi spoke of, of course. And well, that's it pretty much. We understand Dembele's decision to not continue at Barcelona, and we've communicated our decision to leave him out. 
We want players that are committed to the club, and we have told him he has to leave the club as soon as possible. There's also issues as well from the Spanish Players Union's perspective because it could be illegal just the treatment of Dembélé from a contractual uh, situation. Jimmy, jumping to you right yeah, now. Yeah, this is this is uh, pretty obvious when you when you pull back. Barcelona would lose him for free at the end of the season. Yeah. So why not make us think about it now and and try to salvage some kind of money for him? They paid a ton for this guy, and you want to scrape and get something. So if they can get Newcastle to buy in at thirty million or whatever, and just they want to gain some of it. They want him. They want it. otherwise, yeah. But there is some pressure, and the players' union is right in Spain that that uh, this is really towing that line of what's appropriate and how you're treating this player, especially if you separate him from the rest of the group. Because if he's signed, you have to treat him like everybody else. So I'm curious to see how this is going to go. But I think they're going to they want to move him because they want to salvage something. And and I think they're building a narrative in the media about how he has this bad attitude and all this type. I don't know if that helps if you're going to try to sell him, but it's interesting. And I just feel like there's some some chess being played here. Uh, in terms of how they can just scrape and get some money for him. Because if they lost him without getting anything in return, that would be one of the worst signings, I think, in Barcelona's history. Despite <laughs> despite him being good when he plays, he's just hurt all the time. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think uh, it's a bit of a mistake on uh, the Barcelona leadership's part to be public like that. Because if that mm -hmm. is the intention to try and get him out, you just do that behind the scenes. You don't mm -hmm. come out publicly, make a big scandal out of it because, you know, that completely changes the the complexion of the final couple of weeks of the, the transfer window. Uh, and Barca trying to, you know, trying to get something for him before they lose him for nothing. So I think it's pretty poorly handled by Barcelona. I can see why the motivation is there, but I just think they're going about it completely the wrong way. Uh, and, you know, also for, for Dembele to find the right kind of suitor at this moment in time, unless it is a Newcastle, uh, as, as LME said, you know, they are interested. I don't see anyone willing to stump up the money for someone who's so mm. unreliable. Especially if he's a free agent in the same, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my 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 thoughts of that is, is two pieces, as you guys have already touched on. I mean, one of that I think is is it just seems like this new Barcelona has a little bit of evil in them uh, differently. And I know it's been sort of a decade of this now, but like it just feels like the old Barcelona past. They used to do they used to keep a lot in the locker room. You know, there was this you know the 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 Mesque thing was a real thing. La Masia coming through that the respect for the club. Nobody's bigger than the club, but now it seems like they're willing to air their dirty laundry for a player that look. I found two things shocking. One, that they tried to sign, re-sign him multiple times and give him a new contract. That doesn't make any sense to me because he's injured all the time, so why? And two, if that's the narrative, uh, if that's just the narrative to, to say, hey, we want him because he's so great and he's so good, maybe somebody else will come and bite on that mm -hmm. idea that he's so good that they'll come and spend money on him. But to air that out like that just seems odd, uh, especially a player that's under contract. You usually play a player to the very end. If it doesn't work out, then it's just a bad it's a bad loss, but you don't throw a player out of the club or move them to the reserves um, and those types of things unless you're trying to make a statement with them. I just think that's the wrong way to, to treat a player because you don't sign a three-year, four-year, five-year contract to only do four and a half years of it. You do all five, and, and if it goes sour, it goes sour, and you got to sort of eat those losses, and it just seems like they're not willing to do that for how much money they spent on him, and they're trying to make him a villain. And by the way, we've seen in the last couple of years a rise in potential defamation cases happening, happening against players and their rights when clubs go out on a limb and sort of ruin them as as people to the public eye there there's sometimes or becoming more and more ramifications around that if it's not actually true yeah well this is why i mentioned rounders as a as a good example and barcelona is basically teddy john malkovich is teddy but i don't think that Dembélé is that innocent here by the way at least his representation at least his representation uh all right let's uh let's look at the fixtures here in la liga to just give me some thoughts everybody just one point from la liga sevilla by the way sticking around as well, Atleti hosting Valencia, Real Madrid against Elche. I mean, you can go anywhere. Va uh, Vallecano as well uh, against Athletic Club de Bilbao. That's uh, Iraola against his former club, of course. And Rayo won the reverse fixture thanks to an injury time goal from Falcao. Heath, any thoughts from Spain? No, I mean, obviously the Sevilla Celta Vigo match uh, is is interesting to me, as you already mentioned. Uh, Atletico de Madrid also with Valencia, only from a U.S. perspective. That Yunus Musa has started in the last two games for them and is getting back into form, which I think is a huge, a huge uh, or a great time for that. Hopefully, that run of form continues. If you saw when his early days over over a consistent season, he was very, very good. Um, so from that from that perspective, uh, I, I think that's that's a reason to tune in as well for anybody that's that's looking at it through the U.S. soccer lens. AJ? Yeah, for me, I'm, I always keep an eye on uh, Betis's results and I'm looking at where they are at the moment, just hoping that, you know, they'll be able to get another strong result against Espanyol and keep that push for 
unlikely Champions League qualification, or we would have said it was unlikely even just a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, we, we discussed them, I think, just before Christmas. Uh, and we were talking about whether they needed to, to do a lot of business in the January window. Uh, and again, they've announced another contract extension, Nabil Fekir, sticking around this time. It just feels like Betis are a really, really... Uh, you know, a club full to the brim with good vibes at this moment in time. You know, they're yeah. always fun to watch. Uh, you know, and okay, you know, perhaps they're punching above their weight. Uh, you know, when you look at these uh, the squads on paper, but you know, they deserve to be uh, in the reckoning for Champions League qualification. And for me, I'm I'm hoping that they can continue that run uh, with a good result against Espanyol. Yeah, I'm going to jump in and talk about Atletico Madrid. Uh, they're taking on Valencia, as you guys discussed. I'm not looking at Yunus Musa. I'm looking more at Atleti. Got knocked out of the, the Super Cup, you know, by uh, Athletic Bilbao. They just lost in the Copa del Rey to Real Sociedad. Now, their bus did get hit before. A couple broken windows from some of the fans. Apparently, there's a long history there where uh, a Sociedad fan died outside of the Vicente Calderon. So there's a lot to unpack there, but he didn't, uh, Diego Simeone didn't come out and say that that was the reason they lost. I don't know what's going on with that team. Way too talented to be underperforming that they are in multiple competitions. So I'm curious to see how they respond against Valencia at home. But uh, yeah, that's, that's one I got my eyes on for sure. Let's move on here to the Bundesliga before we wrap things up here. Very quick here. And um, we'll do it through the lens of the USMNT Hoffenheim against Dortmund. Uh, are we going to see Giorena Heath Pierce uh, before the World Cup qualifiers? Uh, Leverkusen, Augsburg, Leipzig, Wolfsburg. Any comments from the Bundesliga, Heath? No, the Leipzig-Wolfsburg Leipzig, uh, game, again, another opportunity. We don't know the 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 form of John Anthony Brooks and what's to be expected in terms of a potential call-up. I'm, I'm assuming that that's already been soured and that there's not a lot um, that goes into that. But overall, a, a huge weekend for for Yanks in in the Bundesliga and then the Bundesliga in general for Borussia Dortmund, who are still very much in a in a, in a title race. You know, Gio, Gio Reyna aside, uh, looking at their opportunity to climb up into the table, still six points behind, uh, even on games with Bayern Munich, they're going to have to pretty much go perfect for the rest of the year. Uh, and it starts with with a Hoffenheim side that's been in you know somewhat decent form as of late. Um, you know, only losing one in their last six. And and again, Chris Richards being a big part of part of that. So I think the Hoffman the Hoffenheim Dortmund game I think is a great game uh, to pay attention to, and then also just for the implications of the fact that Dortmund don't have any room for error, and Holland's going to have to carry this team for the rest of the year uh, under the pressure of of a potential transfer and making decisions in terms of his future. Yeah, I'm actually curious about Hoffenheim. They just lost in the DFB Pokal to Freiburg 4-1, actually of the last eight in the DFB Pokal, which is the cup competition in Germany. Mm -hmm. There are four second division teams and four remaining Bundesliga teams. And none of them are Borussia Dortmund, who just lost to St. Pauli. And Bayern Munich got knocked out by Mönchengladbach 5-0. Mönchengladbach just lost. And RB Leipzig is actually on paper the most talented team left. And I want to see how they perform against Wolfsburg. And I want to see Tyler Adams, who did play uh, against Hansa Rostock in, in uh, the midweek game and how he is. Because we're going to need him. He's one of our most influential players to the U.S. men's national team. This is one of the last games prior to the qualifying window. And I want to make sure he's playing because he is so important to our success. Yeah, jumping in, uh, you know, based on what you guys have said already, I think Hoffenheim deserve a bit more credit than we're maybe giving them. I mean, for a club like them to be up in fourth at this moment in time, I mean, I know the gap between them and Dortmund coming into this one is nine points, but still it's a pretty good effort from them uh, to be within a point of Leverkusen and potentially looking good for Champions League qualification. Long way to go, but it's really interesting to see the way that the Champions League uh, spots could be divided up when you look at some of the chasing pack just behind them. I mean, of course, you'd expect Leipzig to, to kind of close the gap on a lot of them. But for Hoffenheim, Union Berlin, Freiburg to be sort of in contention for those European spots is uh, is, is pretty intriguing. Uh, but also in terms of, uh, you know, Americans in, in the Bundesliga, he's not a player, he's a coach. But to see uh, Matarazzo's Stuttgart you know, dwelling down there in 17th in the relegation zone, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is pretty concerning considering, you know, the, the good reputation he's carved out for himself over there. Yep, very good point. All right, we're going to wrap things up here. This was a packed weekend preview as always. Uh, love to do it here with the guys, but uh, let's do some final thoughts. I'll start with mine, by the way. This is, uh, you know, I'm taking off a little bit, so Jimmy and Heath will take care of the weekend recap and the Fabrizio Romano, our weekly fab episode was on Tuesday, by the way. So just a quick update there. But Heath, final thoughts, buddy. 
Uh, yeah, my final thought is that uh, PSV Eindhoven play Ajax. Uh, PSV are top of the table uh, at the moment by one point. They're both level on games. Ajax are obviously in second. Ajax have given up only four goals on the season. PSV have given up 24 goals on the season, but are somehow still in first place. So a huge match in terms of title implications and a six-point swing and one that, uh, you know, if you've been excited about watching Ajax and all the great things that they're doing so far this season, they've still got a, a title race uh, in their own domestic league that they've got to worry about on top of uh, Champions League and whatnot. So a huge 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 game for them jj yeah i'd uh you know as, as long as villa get the points this weekend i'm <laughs> uh, i'm gonna be a happy man like you i'm gonna be jetting off taking uh, taking it easy next week so i'm i'm hoping that villa send me off in a good mood well said buddy yeah Jimmy? i'm gonna i'm gonna jump over to north america talk about uh liga ma keys some big games last two champions were atlas and cruz azul who haven't won the title both of them forever and uh, I'm excited to see who can win the league this year. Big games, Monterrey versus Cruz Azul, Pumas, who are on top of the table currently, versus Tigres, Club America versus Atlas. So a couple of big games in Mexico that I'll be keeping my eyes on. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, everybody. Jimmy, thank you, buddy. Thank you. Heath, thanks so much, man. Safe flight back home. Oh, there you go. His audio's out. You were muted, Heath Pierce. <laughs> see, this is what happens when... See, I, I, my, my kids came running into the house right now. I was like, man, I've got 30 seconds. Maybe I just mute it to the end and Luis won't say anything to me. But yes, thank you so much for having me and thank you for the kind words of the safe travels. No, of course, of course. Uh, kids, they ruin everything. Uh, Jonathan Johnson, thanks, buddy. Uh, always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, dogs do the same thing. I'm sure you guys <laughs> heard my dog uh, making a cameo appearance a couple of minutes ago. Well, he was disagreeing with your point, which is, you know, fair oh, enough. I don't blame long, him. As long as he's a Villa fan, it's absolutely fine. Jimmy Conrad and Heath Pierce will take care of weekend recap. There's USMNT hour as well with a lot of CONCACAF and World Cup qualifying action ready to come. Jonathan Johnson's going to take a break next week, but make sure that you follow his content, John underscore the gossip on Twitter. Heath Pierce, Jimmy Conrad, I'm LME. I'm out as well until Tuesday. Have a fantastic weekend. We will see you next time. Till then.